Feminist Buzzkills, and we are doing an extra special episode in the wake of the fast and furious changes in this Mifepristone abortion pill case. We had the opportunity to talk right after the Fifth Circuit dropped its ruling today with Dr. Michelle Goodwin, Harvard Law Professor, Law Professor at UC Irvine, and scholar on this case. She gives us the 411 on everything that's going on, what happens next, what it means for blue states, what it means for abortion pills, and what you can do to fight back. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to this amazing conversation with Dr. Goodwin. Hello, everyone. Oh my goodness. This has been wild, but I'm coming in because uh, I don't know if you're paying attention, but the latest, um, the latest has come from the uh, Fifth Circuit about the abortion, about the Miffy ruling, and I to talk about it and give you all of the details you need to know about this ruling. Um, hold on, let's see. Here we go. Is this hi, Doctor Goodwin? Hi there. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing so Thank great. You me. for joining. I'm trying to get Liz here. Oh, here's Liz. She's coming that too. It's going to be three of us. Talk Let's about, do uh, it. Madness from the I'll circuit. I'll have to dash off. I'm heading to the airport. Oh. So, so <laughs> let's let's do this. Hello. Hey, Hello. Hi. You look fancy right now with all those books that used to mean I know. something. I know. I know. I do. So let me put on my glasses and be like fancy like both of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, Mo, do you want to just kick us off, Doc? You, we're hoping you can guide us through everything. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, we woke up this morning to find out that in the dead of night, the Fifth Circuit had ruled on um, the availability of the first pill in the abortion pill regiment. Um, and they seem to have taken us uh, uh, several steps back. Can you tell us what this means? Yes, I can tell you what this means. So the case itself involves a challenge to the FDA's approval of mifepristone, which has been on the marketplace in the United States for over two decades, for 23 years to be precise. And the petitioners brought claims that the FDA had rushed the drug to the marketplace and that secondly, it was an unsafe, that it's an unsafe drug both of which empirically are false, but are worth mentioning because so many media organizations have kind of let that sit in the air. And so let me just share really quickly and do the down and dirty 10-minute version of all of this, which is that um, the FDA took 54 months before bringing this drug to the marketplace. To give you some idea of the average other drugs approved in that same year, was about 15 months, right? So long period of review. This is not a rush to the marketplace. It had been available in Europe for decades before. The second thing is the question about its safety, which we should all be alarmed by any kind of drug that would kill us, right? Absolutely. Um, although to be clear, to be clear, there are drugs that are utilized in order to help people that place them in near death, right? Think about cancer and chemotherapy and radiation, right? I mean, so it's not as if there aren't therapies that are harmful, but it actually harmful, but with benefit. But it turns out that 
that's not the case of mifepristone. In fact, what 23 years of review in the United States tells us is that, in fact, it has lower risk factors than Tylenol, penicillin, and Viagra, right? So the challenge really was rooted in something that was political. And what has been argued is that this has been forum shopping, meaning that the petitioners wanted to bring this case before a judge that they knew would be sympathetic to these kinds of claims. And that judge is Judge Kaczmarek, who sits in Amarillo, Texas, as the only district court judge, and during hearings asked the petitioner, how exactly should I write what you want me to do? <laughs> they said, well, Mifepristone should be withdrawn from the marketplace. Demand that that happens. And that is exactly what comes from that order. And Judge Kaczmarek gave a week for the FDA to appeal his order, which ordered the FDA to withdraw Mifepristone from the U.S. marketplace. Now, we should all be alarmed by that because it could essentially mean that any group that decides it doesn't like a particular drug, it doesn't like people using a particular drug, group of people who may decide that they don't like erectile dysfunction medications and therefore they should not be in the marketplace, a group of people who believe COVID <laughs> is a hoax, I've seen their list, you know, a group of people who think COVID is a hoax, Right, could decide, okay, let me find a judge that seems to lean in that direction so that COVID vaccinations can be removed from the marketplace. I mean, look, there are people today who believe that there should not be smallpox vaccines, that there shouldn't be polio vaccines, right? I mean, what this opens the Pandora's box to is that virtually any group that's dissatisfied because of religious views or other kinds of views that there shouldn't be drugs available of certain kind could then go and appeal to a certain judge. Now, the Fifth Circuit heard the case. And what the Fifth Circuit has done, some people call it a victory, but many say, wait, 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 that's not a victory. It's not a because victory. what the Fifth Circuit did was to say, okay, Kazmarek, we're not going where you took this train, right? But we can restore the same status of the FDA's approval of mifepristone to 2016 at a time in which mifepristone was approved for only seven weeks of pregnancy before there was- 2000, not 2016, 2000. 2000, right. Well, it changed in 2016. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so, and that also it could then say that no more telemedicine, for example, which has been an expansion of use, right? Um, that there uh, could not be uh, people who are non-physicians then who would be prescribing this medication. Um, any number of areas in which the FDA has now expanded the use of mifepristone now um goes back and it goes back to it's not 2000 because 2000 is when they allowed it on the broad marketplace but what they did is that they um further expanded it the be ability to be able to use mifepristone beyond the way in which it was originally uh placed onto the marketplace by the fda okay great but and so that means a seven week rather than a 10 week uh usage right and it puts it back into a very restrictive category called REMS. Michelle, can you explain what that category actually means and 
who specifically in this Fifth Circuit ruling can dispense the drug? Mm-hmm. So what it means is that that's a very that's a very good question. So essentially what this means is that mifepristone has been singled out amongst thousands, literally thousands of other drugs. It cannot be shipped in the mail, for example. It can only be dispensed by a medical provider uh, at a clinic. It cannot be distributed at um pharmacies, which was very recent and and kind of add to that the drug could be dispensed by pharmacists, that now rolls back as well. So all of the expansions beyond what originally was the baseline approval in 2000, and then further expansions that came in 2016, those are all Can you also just tell our like our people watching this like what other drugs are in the rims category like what it what are they taking this and putting it next to well so what they're basically doing is suggesting that putting this drug in a category that is unfit for a drug like this right because it suggests that this is a drug that is uh, very harmful um, for use and one that requires further study and review. And we already have had decades of study and review of, my, of mifepristone. We know that it is a drug that is safe for use for the purpose that it is used for. And it is the purpose that it's used for, which is really um it's more than upsetting. It is the the piece that has petitioners in this case really fired up. That is to say, they don't like what it's used for. They don't right. like the fact that it's used as part of a two-drug regimen in order to terminate pregnancies, right? And when you read the petitioner's claims and you read Judge Kaczmarek's order, then you see all of the level of sophistry that's being pushed by the organization that brought this case in the first place, right? So what they claim is that the doctors in this case stand to be overwhelmed by the patients who will come to them suffering in the wake of using mifepristone. And this is part of what the judge's order is. I mean, he it was almost kind of verbatim taking the language just, from the petition. I also just want to point out that some of them were dentists. So if you're going to a dentist, um, you're you're getting it wrong. No yeah. one's going to their dentist yeah. when they take yeah. mifepristone. Right. Anyway, Not at all. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. It's like no. Maddening. No, right. I mean, but but that's basically it. This idea that uh, one, they're suffering significant health uh, morbidities, that there are uh, deaths that can be anticipated, that these are doctors who will be uh, struggling to provide this kind of care for the patients that will come to them. But then, you know, to your point, Liz, the people who would take mifepristone seeking to terminate their pregnancies are unlikely to be seeking medical care afterwards if something goes wrong from people who are very hostile about their very civil liberties and mm-hmm. civil rights. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> exactly the very right. idea that they exactly have right. constitutional protections. These are not going to be the people no. that folks are actually going to turn to. So this idea that the petitioners could say, wow, you know, we're just going to be so overwhelmed. You know, we won't know how to treat all of these people who are going to be coming
I'm sorry, Liz. Go ahead. <laughs> Never mind. Five million people have used this drug and not come to them, right? Mm -hmm. And well, when there's been 28 in this cases. Alone, in this that's, country alone. That's 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 absolutely right. Well, this is why so many people said that the, the case should have been thro thrown out in the very beginning and that these individuals really didn't have standing. That is to say that these people could not actually demonstrate somehow that they had a real interest in this case, that they were affected uh, by it. Judge Kismeric stretched the meaning of law in a very wide way, you know, as wide as the Mississippi River to establish that somehow the petitioners in this case actually had standing and that somehow they would be affected as if it were true that mifepristone causes significant health harms, including deaths. This is the kind of sophistry that one found in so, his order. So I brought up that this case was in Texas, but obviously this ruling affects people around the country. So in states like California or New York, what is the effect if it, if it stays as it is right now? And when is it going to affect? And then how will it affect uh, more blue and purple states? So this, this is a very good question, right? Which brings us to the Dobbs decision where the Supreme Court stated that this was a case that would, that is to say the dismantling of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey would leave the question of abortion rights to the democratic process, that is to the states. And if people want abortions in their state, then vote for lawmakers that will affirm those views and, and, and belief points. Um, Justice Kavanaugh, in a concurring opinion, also leaned in that direction. But what we see by this very petition and by the very order and now the intervention by the Fifth Circuit is that that's been tossed on its head too. That is to say that what the federal judge, what Judge Kaczmarek did was to issue an order that affected the entire country. The Fifth Circuit, uh, its opinion now in this case, and it's a temporary one, it was a three judge panel, and this will go before a broader panel, and there has been an appeal now to the Supreme Court by the Justice Department and the FDA. But that said, this affects the entire country. And by that, then that means that in places like California, New York, Illinois, Colorado, they are affected by this ruling, despite the fact that they are deeply, robustly blue states despite the fact that they have enacted legislative measures to further support and protect reproductive health rights and justice, despite the fact that in California, they just in November of this last year had Proposition 1 on the ballot, which even further secured reproductive freedom in the state's constitution. So despite all of that effort in the wake of Dobbs doing what the Supreme Court said, that now there could be a judge that says, well, that really doesn't matter because this is how we roll for the entire country, right? So this raises some serious questions about if this is a matter that the Supreme Court takes up, then exactly um, question as to how the Supreme Court will rule. Let me say this before, before I leave, which is that historically, and of course, Things are topsy-turvy in the wake of Dobbs, right? This is why Dahlia Lithwick and Neil Segal said that, you know, there's a kind of lawlessness right after Dobbs because the Supreme Court tossed out nearly 50 years of precedent, compared Roe v. Wade to Plessy v. Ferguson, which you just can't make up, said that there was no real reliance interest that women and people with the capacity for pregnancy had vis-a-vis uh, -vis Roe v. Wade and so much more that we could say about that case. Um, 
But let's be clear that traditionally before the Supreme Court, the court has deferred to the FDA in cases that go back nearly a century that have been litigated and brought before the court. There's been significant difference towards that agency. Would that be the same in this case? Who knows? Because certainly what we have also seen is that the court is willing to be selective and also opportunistic in how it rules on matters with regard to reproductive freedom. You know, Dr. Gordon, we're going to let you go. But one question I wanted to ask you with regard to next things that happen. So will there be litigation to try to restore back to the 2016 rules while we think about going to the Supreme Court? It seems to me that the, that those two things might be happening or am I am I wrong on that? Well, so state's attorneys general brought a case that was heard in the state of Washington and a ruling coming the same day where they sought to expand beyond the 2016, um, beyond the, the protocols of 2016 to have further expansion and availability of mifepristone, given that we know how safe it is after 23 years of it being on the marketplace. And so it's not unusual where there may be splits amongst federal uh, circuit courts and jurisdictions. That is actually not unusual. These circumstances happen to be highly unusual. And so typically what happens when there are those splits, sometimes they persist for some time until the Supreme Court finds that now there is an urgency to address the matter. And it may be that it is sooner than later where the Supreme Court takes up this issue. Because yeah. it seems like those 17 states in the District of Columbia um, say we want expansion, but we have a drug that is going back to been reverted to a time when there's less expansion. So how can those states make out? And I guess so that's the next thing we'll be looking to see as we see this path to SCOTUS. Is that right? Well, that's right, because one of the things that we see is that there are governors that are stockpiling, ordering uh, that medical providers get as much of the medication as possible in the state so that they can have it available to treat their patients. And so one of the things that we didn't talk about, and it's the last thing that I'll say because I'm about to go catch a flight, but you know you are my people, <laughs> is the following, which is that we can't divorce this issue from the health matters that undergird it. We are at a time in this country where post-Dobbs, a 10-year-old girl flees the state of uh, Ohio to get to Indiana. We have in South Carolina lawmakers who've signed their names on a bill to impose the death penalty against women and people with the capacity for pregnancy who have abortions. Um, we have judges denying uh, judicial bypasses to young women who say, look, I'm not ready to be a mom at 16 or 17, year olds, 17 year, years old. And we have judges saying, well, you're too immature to be able to make that decision. Therefore, become a mom at 16 or 17 years old. We've seen cases of women nearly bleeding out before they're doctors will intervene. That's the state of Wisconsin. In Louisiana, we've seen a case with a woman um, 
gestating a fetus that had no skull and not be able to get any kind of relief in the state of Louisiana. And right now there are five women who are suing in the state of Texas because they nearly died while needing medical care and intervention. That's the backdrop of this. And it's not even to mention the very high rates of maternal mortality in this country, the fact that we lead all of the industrialized world in terms of maternal mortality and maternal morbidity. And that if we reduce this right down to what it looks like for women of color, it is a deadly proposition in far too many states to be pregnant, 118 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term if you're a Black woman in Mississippi than by having an abortion. These are the realities of our country where these decisions are being made. And we can never remove ourselves too far from that factual analysis, which is really important. We have to keep it front and center. Dr. Goodman, thank you so much. Moji, stay on. We're going to tell folks where they can go. We'll tell them about our petition. Um, You're always just a ray of light and so much, uh, such a knowledge gift. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thanks. Um, I know that it's just always so great to talk to Dr. Goodwin, Moji. It was just like such a a clarity of what's (laughs) happening. But for those of you who are still here and you're like, okay, great. We learned that. We got a bunch of knowledge. What can we do? Well, one thing you can do, we have a petition that we have going where folks, we have it in our link in our bio, sign the petition that is asking the FDA and asking the Biden administration to fight like hell at every avenue so that we can ensure access to this drug. And I just want to also say, too, that said it earlier, but 5.2 million people have had medication abortions in this country since 2000. They are the experts. Exactly. The reason they want to kill this pill is because it takes, it, it, ta- it puts all the power into the person having the abortion. They know exactly what's happening. They know exactly what's happening to their body. They know exactly what they experience. And these right-wingers can't change that for them. So those who have who have experienced abortion pills are the ones who know. And yeah. those who have never taken the abortion pill, they don't like you said that to me today, Moji, that you were explaining to a friend like what is the process of abortion pills? We need to start talking about that so that we can cut the BS with the yes. pictures of the fetuses, with the bullshit narratives around the anti-scientific garbage because 5 million people is a damn good case study to tell people about the safety, efficacy, um, how it makes people feel, and it's important. And yeah, it's really terrifying because this is fully a political hit. Like we can look there. There is research on this. This is not new. This is not a new thing. But I think that people don't know enough about the abortion pill. And so everyone here, if you don't know, find out more and then tell a friend, because this is a way that we also combat the misinformation. Because even if the Supreme Court throws this out, We've already had now weeks of misinformation about how the abortion code works and its accessibility, and we need to combat that on the ground with the people around us. That's exactly right. And for those of you just joining, we're going to save this onto our Instagram, but we're also going to rip this audio and we're going to make a mini podcast for you so that you can hear Dr. Goodwin's wisdom and we can put the links of where you can get more knowledge um, and you can learn about medication abortion and learn about abortion as a whole because this is something that is an attack on again, our abilities to take our own health care into our own hands and no fucking judge 
or a doctor who ain't never going to prescribe abortion pills Ever. should be the ones telling you what the experience is like. Only you know that and sharing that is going to dispel all that bullshit. Moji, thank you for joining. Thank and um, we got a lot we're going to do. Always stick with AAF. When this shit's happening and updates are happening, we will be here for you. Um, peace out. Uh, we'll get this ripped up and we'll get it up tonight on our, on our, uh, on our podcast. So, uh, so make sure you subscribe. Feminist Buzzkills. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.